The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. going to return to the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter number one once again. And here on Sunday mornings, we've been in a series for a few weeks that we've entitled Reset. And I'll explain a little bit why it's called Reset. We know that uh, the book of 1 Corinthians is technically a letter. It's a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul uh, underneath the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And as the Apostle Paul is writing, he's writing to believers and to the church in this city called Corinth. Now, this church in Corinth that had been started, it started out well. There was great blessings that were taking place. Many came to know Christ as their Savior, uh, as uh, being a part of this church and the efforts and work of this church. Unfortunately, though, as time went on, there were uh, some issues that started to rise up in the church. Uh, many of its members started to take it, their focus off of God's plan and off of His will. They started to put their focus on their own will and their own desires and all kinds of other things as well. And so the Apostle Paul is writing to this church in an effort and in a hopes to be able to help set their eyes and their heart and their affections and their mind back on track, uh, back to what matters most. And actually in the first three or four verses, we find he focuses exactly on what matters most. Who matters most? The Lord Jesus Christ. Several times throughout those few verses, he references and says the name Jesus or the Lord Jesus Christ there over and over again in an effort right off the bat to try to reorient their eyes and their heart back to the things of Jesus Christ, what matters most. He also wanted them to help, help them to get on track with a heart of gratitude for what the Lord had done. Not on what they had done, not on what they had accomplished, not on what anybody else had done, but on what Jesus had done in their life as he offers that prayer of gratitude and thanksgiving for who they are and what the Lord has done in them. As we've asked, was the church at Corinth perfect? No, they were not. Were there problems at the church of Corinth? Absolutely there were. But even in the midst of all of that, Paul was still thankful, not because of what they did or didn't do, but because of what God was still doing in their life and had already done in their life. And so he's trying to help them get their minds and hearts back set on that. Then, as we noticed um, a couple weeks ago, he started to focus on some of the issues. One of the issues was that there was division, particularly verse number 11, it says that there were uh, contentions among them. And so there was all kinds of fighting. There was all kinds of arguments that were going on. One of the arguments was the fact that they were grouping themselves up and lining themselves up with the evangelists that they liked the most. Some said they were of Paul. Some said they were of Apollos. Some said they were of Peter and so on. And so they were segmenting the body. They were dividing the body. And that's why Paul actually asked that question in verse number 13. Is Christ divided? It's a rhetorical question. Obviously not. He is not divided. But that's what they were in essence doing when they were allowing these divisions to take control. Now, the reason why there was divisions was because of their their uh, groupings, their cliques that they were creating. A uh, reason why there was cliques that were being created and bringing divisions, as we looked at last week, is because they were focusing only on temporal things instead of eternal matters. And what did we discuss last week? That eternal matters, the, the eternal matters are greater than temporal matters. And, 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 and Paul's trying to remind them of that. We call the series Reset 
Because sometimes we just have to hit that reset button. We need to reset our focus, reset our hearts on what matters most. I want to invite you to look at verse number 25 here this morning, and we're going to see some other areas in which we find division can creep in. In fact, we said actually the first six chapters, Paul in some way or fashion deals with divisions within the church and the things that cause that. So look at verse number 25 as we focus on another thing that can bring division and uh, honest, honestly, De, uh, it would honestly deflect or, or, or de, uh, bring away the glory from the Lord in those ways. And so look at verse number 25. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things that are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught uh, things that are. Verse number 29, why is that? That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Our Father, we come to you this morning, and we do thank you for this opportunity to gather today. We would ask that you just bless our time together, that you would uh, uh, just guide us, that your spirit would give us the opportunity to know this truth here this morning. And uh, Lord, that you just give me the words to speak as I deliver the message, that you'd help me to say nothing more, nothing less than what you desire here this morning, that our hearts would be in tune with yours and uh, your word here today. Lord, you have already promised that if you would be lifted up, you'd draw men unto you. And so God, we want to exalt you today. We want to uplift you and magnify you in all that is said and done. We want to glorify you through the message and through the songs that have been done here today. We want to just uh, focus on the fact that it's you that accomplishes anything in us. And Lord, we ask that you will be accomplished, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were to be honest with yourself, you would have to admit that we love to compare ourselves to others. Now, you might be sitting there here today and saying, Pastor, really, I don't have a problem with that. But if we take a moment and think back and consider, I mean, from the beginning, we are kind of just... Our world conditions us to kind of compare ourselves to others. For instance, uh, in school, when you start off school, you start learning, and then you take tests. You want to do good on those tests. You don't want to do bad. You want to pass, not fail. I mean, that, that, to an extent, that is some type of a gauge of good or bad. We take the test, we achieve a class rank, we, we talked about Promotion Sunday, for instance, for our church, right? Next Sunday, there are kids moving from kindergarten into the first, second, and third grade class. There will be kids moving from the third grade class to the fourth, fifth, and sixth grade class. There will be young people moving from the sixth grade up to the teen department. Teenagers that have just finished school are going to be moving into some adult classes and such. They're moving and achieving class rank in those ways. They, we grade work and, and all of that. Then we go into extracurricular things. Consider sports, for instance. We keep score and all of that. It frustrated me, uh, to say the least, when I, my son was playing t-ball, that they never kept score. Now, they might have never officially kept score, but I did. I knew exactly how many each team was scoring and whether or not we won the game or not, all right? Because 
There's got to be a winner. It's not a competition if there's not a winner, right? In sports, we keep score. We keep track of who scores the most runs, who makes the most baskets, who kicks the most goals, who, who shoots the most goals in the hockey, whatever, whatever uh, sport it might be. We keep track of all those things. We keep tracks of, track of wins and losses. I said wins and losses, not ties. What kind of games have ties? Come on now. Wins and losses, we keep track of those things, right? And we are just programmed. Listen, we're programmed from an early age to think in ways of comparison. And because of that, if we are guilty at times uh, of comparing ourselves to others. Unfortunately for us, though, when we do that, we're always going to find someone that is better than us, aren't we? We're always going to find someone that's smarter than we are, more talented than we are, has more money than we do, that is skinnier than I am, that is more fit than I am, stronger than whatever. You go on down the thing, you're going to find someone who, by our comparison, is better. But thankfully for our ego, though, also, we're normally able to find somebody that's a little worse off than us. We're find somebody that has a few less dollars than we do, that has a few extra more pounds than we do, maybe. We can find somebody that doesn't win as often as we have in the past, whatever the case might be, because uh, thankfully for our ego, we can find that oftentimes. But listen, we understand this. If we're to be honest with ourselves, we understand that that comparison is just is simply vain and meaningless, especially when it comes to the things of eternal matters. As we discussed last week, that eternal matters are greater than that of temporal matters, when it comes to the things that are, are eternal, that, that matter most eternally, that type of a comparison is vain and meaningless. But the vanity and the pride of mankind, is it just content even with making comparison with one another? Our own sinful state causes us to make comparisons between us and God also. Think about it. Fallen man tries to compete with God both in his wisdom and in his abilities. The Lord said that he would provide a way so that all man, all, all mankind, every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl could be able to come to know him as, a, as, as their Savior, to be able to have a home in heaven. And yet, even though he's already provided a way, how often do we find people try to make their own way to God? They try to say, well, I know that the Bible says that if a person is just trust Jesus by faith, that he would save them. But just to be, just to be safe, I'm also going to trust that baptism will wash away my sins. I'll, just to be safe, I'll trust that having a, a cross around my neck shows my dedication to the Lord. Just to be safe, I'll, I'll carry some beads and I'll, I'll twist them around in my hand while I pray some prayers and I'll count how many times to go around. Just, to be ca- just in case, just to be safe, to make sure that I work my way to heaven. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 and 8 and 9, says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that, and, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But yet, how often do we find people trying to work their way to heaven? Why? Because they're comparing their deeds to what Jesus has already done. And somehow coming to the end saying, thinking in their mind that their, their deeds are better. They, think, they, they compare their wisdom to his wisdom, their ability to his ability. And, um, and, and we define, because of that, we define what he wants for our life. We define who he is. If, we're not, if we don't take this word right here to define completely who God is, then we just make God in our own image. And we find that so many times 
a, a lost world will do that. They'll say, well, I believe, I just feel like if it was a loving God, he wouldn't or he would. And they've made up in their mind who God is when God is, is wisdom and God is perfect. And so in their mind, they've done compared that their knowledge or, or feelings are better than God's. And we say, yeah, we, I understand that. But it's not just a lost and wicked world that does that. Sometimes we as believers can be guilty of that as well. Immature believers can cause, can be allowed to, can allow themselves to think that they know better than God. We trust God for our salvation. Oh yeah, absolutely, pastor, there's no other way to heaven but Jesus. But then we try to take control of our everyday life, don't we? When we know that his ways are better and we know that he knows what's best for us. That's the problem that's taking place here in the church at Corinth. As Paul is writing, they were, they were just too busy slapping each other on the back, congratulating themselves for being on somebody's team that really didn't matter. Oh, you're on Paul's team. I'm with you, bud. We're right on the same. Oh, you're on Peter's. Get away from me. You can't be a part of this group. Like, and they're comparing themselves, thinking that because of who they're associated with, that they're better and that they know better and that they have better abilities, when all that doesn't matter because it all pales in comparison to who God is. And so Paul is trying to get them back on track, trying to help them reset. And because they didn't understand how they came to faith, they were latching on to, um, they were making uh, distinctions and comparisons, comparisons among themselves on the basis of who delivered the gospel to them instead of whom the gospel was about. Now, we understand that to be an inappropriate comparison. But we have to also realize that they just simply wanted to find the person that they could compare themselves to. Why? To boost their ego. Why? Because they wanted to be the best. They felt like their way was somehow better. And if we try hard enough, we'll always find somebody that we can consider to be, that we can consider ourselves better than. You probably heard about the husband and wife who were having some car troubles so they took their car to the dealership, had the, had the work get, get done, and they went home, and a few days passed by, and they got a call at home and said, hey, your, your vehicle is ready to be picked up. So they loaded up. They went over there to the car dealership. They went into the uh, front desk and said who, told them who they were, told them they were here to pick up their car, and uh, they said, okay, well, we're glad you're here. And it, yes, it is finished, but I'm, uh, unfortunately, I'm sorry to tell you, the technician, as he was getting things together, he, he accidentally locked your keys in the car. He's, he's working to get them out, and we're trying to get you on the road and quickly, and I know you're already here, and we're sorry for the delay, but you know, uh, we're, we're doing everything we can to get it, get, get it out. So they went ahead and took him back to the bay there where they were doing the work, and sure enough, there the technician is. He's got the coat hanger and everything else you can think of trying to get into the car and get it unlocked, get their keys out so they can get on the road and get about their business. And so he's over there on the uh, driver's side. The couple goes around on the passenger side, and they're looking through the window, watching, seeing how close he is to getting it done, and, and they're just thinking, I can't believe this is happening, and, you know, I'm just ready to go, can we get out of here? And just instinctively, the, the husband, he reaches down and grabs the passenger side door handle and pulls on it. When he does, guess what? The door opens up. He says, hey, man, listen, uh, this side's unlocked. The technician looked at the, at the husband, he said, I know, I unlocked that side already, I'm working on the driver's side now. If we try hard enough, 
we will find somebody that is a little more incompetent than we are, I'm sure. The problem, was, the problem is, is when we start thinking our ways are better than God's ways. Last week, we said this, eternal focus is greater than temporal focus. And when we have a temporal focus, we become selfish and it causes division. This week, we understand that God's ability is greater than man's ability. And when we try to think that we got it all together and fix it our own way and that we have all the answers, it can be a source of division as well. And so we return here to chapter 1, verse number 25, as we transition to this next point in Paul's letter. And notice with me, number one, here this morning, as Paul makes a pointed claim. Number one, a pointed claim. Verse number 25 says, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. He starts there with that word because. He's already laid the foundation. He's already laid the thought, the idea that uh, God's ways are better. Uh, What man considers to be a foolish message, God is actually displaying his great and mighty power through. Like we talked about how, yeah, man, humanly speaking, in the things of the world, a man that had lost his life to give us eternal life, how does that bring victory? Well, humanly speaking, it wouldn't. But through God, all things are possible. Like if we had to win and never lose, then that would have to do with our ability. But the fact that we win through his losing, if you may, is all about his power and all about his ability. And so he set that tone already that the, what many think to be a foolish message is what actually draws us to the Lord and shows us his power. But as he makes this pointed claim, notice it's a pointed claim regarding foolishness. He says there in verse number 25 again, he says, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Now, understand this this morning, that God is all-powerful, that God is all-knowing. God is perfect. But in human standards, if there were some way to quantify or qualify God's knowledge and His wisdom on some type of a, a spectrum, we, it would be like to say that, well, in this certain area, God is, he knows a whole lot about this. But in this certain area, he doesn't know quite as much. We can't do that. We obviously know that. But if we could, even God's foolishness is greater than the greatest of men's wisdom. That's what Paul's saying. And so as man's trying to figure it all out, and they're trying to make their way and figure out what truth really is apart from God, their greatest of wisdom always fails and falls short, even to what could be considered God's foolishness. And so the pointed claim is this, listen, regarding our, own, uh, our, our wisdom, it's foolishness in comparison to God. What man would consider to be God's foolishness is so far outweighs anything that man could conjure up. But he not only makes this point of claim about, uh, regarding foolishness, but he also makes this point of claim regarding feebleness. Notice he says in verse number 25 also, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Again, listen, it'd be like saying that we could somehow qualify that God is strong in this area, but he's not in this area. We understand, we know he's all-powerful. But if we could, it'd be like comparing, trying to say that, yeah, in that one area, I'm stronger than God is. That'd be like trying to say a three-year-old is stronger than Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like, it just, it can't happen. 
Like, it doesn't matter how big the, this three-year-old. I've seen some big three-year-olds, honestly, right? But I, I, it doesn't matter how big the three-year-old is. I don't, it doesn't matter how, how helpful he is and how much he can pick up. If he picked up this box and moved it over there, he's not going to compare to the strength that Arnold Schwarzenegger has. No matter, even if it was in the weakest portion of Arnold Schwarzenegger's body. What, you get what I'm saying? And we, to try to say that in any way we could be greater than God is a foolish statement. And, God, and Paul is trying to help us to understand with a pointed claim here, a pointed statement. Listen, God, what you call God's foolishness is so much greater than your own wisdom. What you call God's weakness is so much greater than any strength that you could conjure up on your own. But not only do we see this pointed claim, but notice number two with me this morning, as we look at verses 26 through 29, this persuasive case as well. See, Paul asks the believers in Corinth, he says, will you see your calling? Right there in verse number uh, 26, for ye see your calling. It is as if to say, would you take a second look at it? Would you, would you consider it again? More specifically, he's saying, take note of who God has called into the church. Take note of who God uses and who, how God is building his church and who he's using to build it. Notice what it says in verse number 26. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. So as we consider this persuasive case that Paul is making about God's ability over man's ability, we see who God calls when he does. Who it is that he calls when he, does, when he calls them? Well, he starts off there in verse number 26, particularly saying these are some individuals he normally doesn't call. He describes these individuals in three ways. He describes them as sophisticated people. He describes them as self-sufficient people. He describes them as people of society, people who would have a name in society as well. And he says particularly there in verse number 26 that not many of them are called. Now listen, understand this this morning. That, God, that Paul is not trying to say that God does not save people who have ability of their own. He's not saying that God doesn't save people that have a name for themselves. He is not saying that he, he, he doesn't save people that are, uh, are sophisticated. But what he is saying is unless one of those individuals are willing to humble themselves and choose Christ as the only way, they are going to be apart from it. It's not that God is excluding them, but they have excluded God. Now, the reason for that, listen, God being almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, He knows our abilities. He knows our wisdom. He knows our knowledge. He knows our human stance. In His power, He could have decided, because I want to accomplish all of my work, I'm going to pick only the best. And He could have established an all-star team, right? We have, you think of the NBA, right? And they put together their power teams. Kind of started with LeBron James and then the big three there in Miami and all that type of thing, right? We, literally, God in his power could have made it that way. But that's not how God has chosen to work. How God has chosen to work, he'll use anyone. But most particularly, it seems that those who are self-sufficient, those who think they have it all together, those who think that they've made something of themselves, oftentimes don't think they even need God. So God takes those who are the outcast. God takes those who are the ones that nobody else would think anything of, and he uses them to accomplish great things. 
And you know what happens when a nobody does something great for God? Then God gets the glory. When a nobody who has no, no, no talent, has, has no education or whatever the case might be, and they just are a nobody in, in the world's eyes, and God uses them to do something great, the only one that can get the glory out of it is God himself because it shows his power on display. I'm here to tell you something, my friends. I went, when I went to Bible college, I went to Bible college with some young men and so even some young ladies that grew up in well-known pastors' homes. They, I mean, they, had, they were on track, it would seem like, to be uh, somebody for God, all right? They, they, they grew up in it. They, they've been around it. They had all of the, the training even before college. And if God was going to use anybody, in my eyes, it would have had to have been them, right? Because, I mean, they've just got it all together. They've got everything they need for God to be able to use them. I came from a home that my dad was a factory worker. There's nothing wrong with being a factory worker. Listen, there's nothing wrong with that. He served faithfully in the church and did everything that he felt the Lord would have him to do there. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but he wasn't in full-time ministry. Uh, here I am going off to college. I remember sitting on the bleachers of the football field as we're having the, the freshman men's orientation, and, and they're trying to help teach us how to lead people to Christ. And they ask, how many of you have ever led someone to Christ personally? Would you stand up? Well, I had. I had, as a kid, I remember talking to my neighbor and uh, just my neighbor friend and talking to them about how Jesus saved me. And they asked questions about that. And so I told them about Jesus and dying on the cross and prayed with them and then told my parents. My parents helped to make sure that I didn't scar them for life in my little eight-year-old presentation of the gospel or whatever. But, I mean, I, I had done that, but I, I mean, I didn't go out, you know, door knocking every week and holding the New Testament in my back pocket and all that. And so they said, how many have led one person to the Lord? Stand up. Most everybody stood up. I was standing with them. If you've led more than five people to the Lord, stay standing. I had to sit down because I hadn't. I mean, they're going on like, if you've ever led more than 50, if you've led more than 100, if you've led more than 1,000, I mean, there's, there's these guys that are standing up there. These are 18-year-old young men, and they've grown up in church and been about this thing, and it seems like, man, I could never be them. God's going to use those guys, and I'm just a nobody. I'm telling you this morning, some of those men don't even, aren't even in church today. And I'm not saying that to toot my horn in no way. All I'm saying is, me as a nobody... Anything that is good in my life and accomplished is because God has done it. And he's got to get the glory because I'm not super talented. I don't even know how I get up in the morning half the time, right? Like I, I am a literal nobody. As, as my pastor in Arkansas used to say, I'm a zero with the ring rubbed out. Like I'm nothing. Anything that is accomplished is because of God. Today I'm celebrating five years as your pastor. That's because, no, 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 no. That's because God. If it was me, I would have failed on day one. And I have failed. But his mercy endures forever. And his mercies are new every morning. Don't, don't, don't miss what I'm saying this morning, what the word of God is saying. God chooses to use those who others would seem as insignificant. Because then he gets the glory out of it. He gets the honor and praise out of it. Who God uses, who, who God calls when he, when he does. We also see, though, also why God calls who he does. Verse number 29 is clear. Why does God choose to do it that way? I've already stated it. Verse number 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. We don't get the, we don't get the honor. We don't get the praise. We don't get the glory of it. God deserves it all. 
As we understand that, that God's ability is greater than man's ability, number one, we've seen this pointed claim. Number two, we've seen this persuasive case. But thirdly, notice our, present, our precise, I'm sorry, our precise condition. Verses 30 and 31, Paul goes on to remind them, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus. In God ye are, in Christ, are ye in Christ Jesus. Who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. First, Paul reminds them as he speaks of our condition, this precise condition that the believer has in the Lord. He reminds them of their relation to the Lord, our relation to him. Verse number, the beginning of verse number 30 discusses that. He speaks specifically of being in him, of him in Christ Jesus. By his doing, not by our work, not by our ability, not by anything of our own, but by his doing, we are in Christ Jesus. The Bible, when he says in Christ Jesus, to be in Christ is actually a unique Pauline's phrase. He uses it no fewer than 83 times in all of his letters combined. And it just simply means this. It means those who are in the grace of Christ, believers in Christ by faith in the gospel. And Paul prefers to speak of it as being in Christ as opposed to of Christ because it reflects a position of righteousness. Not a righteousness that we've owned, not righteousness that we've earned, not righteousness that we've accomplished, but righteousness that has been imputed unto us, righteousness that has been given to us, righteousness that has been placed on us. And because we are in Christ, God the Father sees us as righteous, our position in Him. So we are in the Lord by faith and we're sealed to the day of redemption. The Bible clearly tells us that. But nothing, nothing explains why we are in Christ. We didn't reason our way into it. We didn't accomplish it on our own. We didn't earn it. We didn't apply for membership. We didn't sign up on some thing. And so hopefully, I, hope, I, I sure hope that I get accepted. Like sign up for a credit card or something along those lines. Nothing of our own can explain why we're there. The only thing that explains it is God again. Again, we're focusing on the fact that God's ability is greater than any of our ability of our own. We can't do anything in and of ourselves. So we see our, this precise, precise condition, our relation to Him. We see also our resources in Him. Look at what the rest of verse number 30 says. Of, uh, in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us. Here's, our, uh, here's what we get in Christ, our resources. He's made unto us wisdom. He's made unto us righteousness. He's made unto us sanctification. He's made unto us redemption. But not only do we see our relation to him and our resources in him, but also notice we are rejoicing through him in verse number 31 before we close. He says in verse number 31 that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Can I just make it blunt to this morning? If we've got to be boastful about anything, let it be about what God has done. Like we, we shouldn't be prideful. We shouldn't have that attitude of arrogance or anything like that. But if we're going to make known anything that has been done in our life, let it be made known that it was God that did it. 
Not look at what I've done, not look at what I've accomplished, but look at what God has done. Now listen, the reason why Paul makes such a big deal about God's ability being greater than man's ability is because when we focus on that I did it or that we did it, then I can easily say I'm better than you. Or you can easily say you're better than me. Yeah, you know, if it weren't for me, I don't know what that church would do. If I, if I didn't, you know, I, I, it would just completely fall apart. Miss Sabrina, I was joking with her this morning, actually. I, she's talking about moving and things like that. And I told her, I said, when you move, Miss Sabrina, and this church falls apart, I'm blaming you. <laughs> and, uh, but literally, people can get that idea. Like, a church can't function without me. I just don't know. I guess I'm just God's gift to Mountain Vista, you know? <laughs> God sure is good to have. Uh, he, he should be glad that he has me on his team. And we, and we kind of be facetious about that. But, like, literally people can get that attitude. And you know what that is a sign of? That we're focusing on what we've done and not what God has done. Now, listen, my friends. I want to remind you that when we try to do God's work in our power, we will always fail. I want to show you this quickly. Brother Tyler, you, I, I used you this morning. I've used you in all of mine so far, right? So he's about to go off back off to college, so I got to pick on him as long as I can. Grab one of those poles. I need another strong, strapping young man as well. I guess Manny will work. And uh, so come on, Manny. And I'm going to have you come on up here as well. And uh, so Manny and Brother Tyler here, they're going to represent... Uh, the opposition, these poles and them are going to represent the opposition of trying to accomplish the Lord's will and work, all right? And then I need somebody to represent the Christian as well. Uh, Kate, can I have you help? All right. And uh, so Kate's going to come up here and she's going to represent the Christian that just, we're going to try to do what God expects in our life and do something for God. But Kate's going to first try to do it in her own power. All right. So Kate, I want you to stand here between them facing that way. And I want you guys to give her a little bit of room to stretch out there. Now grab those poles, Kate. And God's, nope, nope, nope. Leave it on the ground here like that. There we go. God, God's will for Kate's life is going to be to bring these two poles together in the middle and have them touch, all right? But she, instead of relying on God, she's going to do it in her power, all right? You ready? Now, don't let her show you up now, all right? Here we go. See, look at you, ain't even ready yet, all right? Here we go. All right, Kate, pull, pull them together, get them together as far as tight as you can. Use your other hand, Manny, all right? Put it, put it there on the ground, use both hands and hold it. All right. Both hands, Manny. Manny. All right. All right. Now, Kate, you're pulling pretty hard. You've gotten a little bit of movement, but you didn't get them together, did you? All right. Take a step back. Let go of those. You guys stay there. So Kate is the Christian that's trying to do God's will for her life and accomplish his work, uh, but she's doing it in her own power. Now we're going to get God involved, and the rope's going to be God, all right? And uh, instead of trying to do it all on her own and trying to accomplish everything herself and she receiving the glory for it and she getting the praise for it and saying, man, oh, Kate, she's just such a great worker and she just does so much and man, I don't know what we do without her and she's getting all the praise for it. Instead of just doing it on her own, Kate's now getting God involved to do something that she couldn't do before. Now, Kate, I want you to take this again. And you're going to start pulling, and you're just going to start walking that way, all right? And just keep pulling, keep pulling, keep pulling, keep pulling, keep going, keep going, keep going. 
Keep going. Don't let it go, Brother Tyler. Keep going. Keep going. Don't stop. Keep going. And see, are you, are you even trying? <laughs> Keep going. You're almost there. God's almost got his will accomplished through your life. And there it is. They're all together. Now, what she couldn't do, thank you guys, you can be seated. What she couldn't do on her own became a whole lot easier to do when she let the Lord do the work for her. When she let the Lord do the, the, the heavy lifting for her. Now, had she been able to hold those poles by herself and pull them together, man, look how strong she is. Look at her ability. Look at what she's able to accomplish. But the fact that she couldn't do it on her own, but when she relied on God for the leverage, then the whole praise goes someplace else, doesn't it? Now listen, when we have those types of situations in our lives and in our church, when we try to accomplish it by ourselves, then we can have the attitude, I am something, and the church is, I don't know what they do without me. I don't know what God would do without me. But when our hearts are just aligned with what matters most, and the fact that God's in control, that his ability is greater than man's, guess what, my friends? When that is the case, the vision is going to flee. Because it's not about me, and it's not about you, and it's not about your wants, and it's not about what you accomplish. It's about what we have done because of Christ. Sometimes we need that reset, don't we? As I said earlier, we, if you're a believer here this morning, you've trusted Christ, His wisdom, and His ability to save your soul for all of eternity. Then why do we think that we should take control of our day-to-day life then also? See, if God can say, has the wisdom to save us and has the ability to keep us for all of eternity, I, I just would have to imagine that His plan for our life, day in and day out, is going to be greater than any plan we can make for ourselves. We're guilty of having that 10-year plan, and this is exactly how it's going to look. There's nothing wrong with planning. Don't get me wrong. We plan. We put set calendars and all that. Sometimes God changes the plans, and we've got to be okay with that. We've got to say, when God changes the plans, guess what? His plan is better, and that's where we need to find ourselves today. Maybe you need a reset to that. Maybe you need to be reminded of that. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. So we have this brief time of invitation. I'm going to ask a few simple questions before we pray. First question being, how many here would say, Pastor, I know for sure I'm saved. And I know that heaven's my home. And if I were to die today, I'd spend eternity with the Lord. Could I just rejoice with you? Would you slip your hand up and write back down on the testimony of that? Hands all across this auditorium. Praise God for that. I wonder, would there be anyone here who would be honest enough to say, Pastor, you know what, if I died today, I am not sure that heaven's my home. I'm not sure that uh, I'd spend eternity with the Lord. And if I died today, I don't know that I've ever been born again. Now, I don't want to embarrass you or anything like that, but could I just simply pray with you this morning? Would you slip your hand up and write back down if that's you, Pastor? I don't know that I'm saved. Please pray for me. And one last question. You're here. You know Christ is your Savior. That's settled. But maybe you had been reminded again. Maybe there needs to be a reset that says, you know what? God's ability is better than mine. His plan is always better than mine. His will is going to be greater than my will. And you'd say, Pastor, would you please pray with me? Just pray with me, Pastor, that day in and day out, that I'd surrender to the Lord's will over mine. 
that I'd surrender to His plan over mine, that I'd rely on His ability over anything that I could accomplish on my own. If you'd like me to pray with you towards that end, would you slip your hand up and right back down? Hands all across the auditorium. We're going to pray, and when I'm finished praying, the piano is going to begin to play. And maybe if you're able, you'd come down here to the front and kneel at the altar, and you just call out to the Lord, lift up your heart to Him humbly, saying, Lord, your ability is greater than mine. Maybe you're not able to kneel here at the front, but right there in your seat, you'd lift up your heart and say, Lord, I just surrender. I'm yielding my life to you. Your ways are better than mine. Your ways are stronger, greater than mine. Our Father, we do thank you for this morning. We do ask now that you just take this time and that you bless it and that your will would be accomplished. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As the piano plays, the altars are open. If the Lord spoke in your heart, you can come. Thank you for being able to be here this morning. I want to invite you to be seated, if you would, just briefly here this morning. And we're continuing to thank the Lord for His goodness and uh, His work throughout uh, Vacation Bible School and, and the work even in our young people's lives through other avenues, through our Sunday schools and such as well. And uh, we are privileged to have another baptism here this morning. And Michaela Stevens is coming, and she's going to be baptized as soon as she's ready. We'll take care of that and get that accomplished here this morning. And uh, grateful for all the Lord is continuing to do. And we understand this today, that our, our young people are uh, not just our future. Uh, they are our now, you know, also. And if we don't uh, uh, impact them right here and right now, if we don't teach them about the things of God, if they don't know, come to know Christ as their Savior, even at a young age, and uh, learn the importance of, of relying on Him and uh, being obedient to Him, uh, then it's going to be tougher to do that later on in life. Uh, studies have shown uh, that uh, most folks that come to know Christ as their Savior do so before the age of 15. 
You know, that's not to say that others don't come to know Christ after that. And uh, we know that to be, the, uh, that, that is true, that that does happen. But uh, more often than not, it's at a younger age. And so we want to do our best to do that. And so we're thankful for those who participate and uh, help lead our young people uh, every week and week in and week out. But also we want to be in prayer that the Lord would continue to equip and raise up more uh, to be able to work with them and help in those areas as well. So I think we're ready over here. And uh, so we'll go ahead and get this uh, baptism this morning. And I thank you for that. All righty. You ready? All right. Take my hand here. And you're going to step down here and sit right there on that ledge. Are you good? Now, unfortunately, she was supposed to get baptized last week. Go ahead and sit down. And uh, was, not, was not able to be here. She was, yeah, the sickness was in the family. And there was just a mix-up, and this is not warm today. And so she's being a trooper to be able to be, and I'm making her sit here even longer, all right? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to get it done and uh, get on with the road here, all right? So uh, Michaela, Paul, your purple profession of faith in him, I baptize you now, my sister, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Ready? Grab my hand over here. And buried in the likeness of his death, and raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Congratulations. All right, here, give me your hand, help you get out, and get you a towel, and get, get you warmed up, all right? And there you go. And uh, it is chilly, I'll attest to that, so congratulations, Michaela, thankful for that. Go ahead and stay with me, please. We're going to be dismissed this morning, and uh, thank the Lord for His goodness and His work continuing on in our church and in our lives. I do pray that you'll have a great afternoon. And if you're able, be back here tonight as we, of course, will participate in the Lord's Supper, 530, right on, right on the dot, we'll start there. Then at 6 o'clock will be our regular service as well. And then I want to remind you, if you, even if you're not able to be here tonight, Wednesday at 630, 6.30, if you are able, if you are available, if you're not at work, if you're not providentially hindered some way, I think you'll be blessed. I think it'll be an intriguing time uh, to be able to hear from the missionary there, Brother Ron and his work there in the Ukraine. And so pray that the Lord will allow us to be able to accomplish that also. So Brother Brandon, you're sitting back there next to Brother Matt. He's already prayed once at least today, and so twice. And so Brother Brandon, why don't you pray and ask the Lord to bless as we are dismissed this morning. Thank you, Lord, for letting us be in your house this morning, and thank you for all that you do for us. I thank you for the messages that we heard. I pray that you would help us to apply them to our lives and help us to live out your word. And Lord, I pray that you bring us back safely tonight according to your will now. In Jesus' name, amen.